Thanks very much for, for joining us in what is our first edition of our Fireside Chats for 2021. Um, it still amazes me that we're saying 2021 and a whole year has passed and, and we're sort of in the same situation, certainly from an interaction with, with, with clients and the rest of, of NetBank. Um, for, for those of you that have been following us for a while, um, we started these chats back in July, probably last year, um, and, and we kicked it off with Ridwan. We painted a pretty bleak picture for the property sector. Um, and this was on the back of our relatively um, bearish uh, macroeconomic forecast. His call did prove to be the correct one. Um, as most of you know, South Africa's growth trajectory slowly deteriorated and, and COVID probably um, became a, a much greater foe than you know, any of us initially envisaged. Um, then you might recall in our next chat that followed, Walter DeVette um, detailed the team's thinking behind our bearish essay outlook. Um, and he was one of the first economists on the street to actually pencil in a double digit GDP decline um, for 2020 growth. Obviously, a lot has changed since those initial stabs at, at forecast. Um, on the one hand, you've had the resurgence of COVID infections um, and very little clarity on vaccine rollout plans. On the other hand, um, I mean, just looking at some of the companies that have reported recently, you've had slightly better results. Um, and you know, some of the macro data that's coming out points to a consumer that, that probably has been slightly more resilient um, than we would have anticipated given um, the lockdown restrictions coming back in. So I think really you know, a lot of parts that South Africa could probably follow from here. Um, and, and it's for this reason that we have uh, Rizwana Sumat, um, who is NetBank's resident uh, macro and fixed income guru that's, that's joining us. Um, I'm a little bit biased here, but I think Riz is probably one of the most talented economists in the market. Um, and she has recently expanded her coverage to include fixed income strategy. Um, I assure you that despite her, her rather youthful appearance, she's actually one of the longest serving analysts on our team, having started our, her career with NetBank almost a, a decade ago. Um, it's still a couple of decades behind Niels, but yeah, still a good stint. Um, she's highly rated on her own, and she's recently won the Young Analyst of the Year Award for, for her work on the macro. Um, just a bit of admin before we kick on. Um, note that we are public side, so, so all of these are independent um, public views that we're uh, expressing, so there's no material non-public information that we'll be chatting about. Um, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm sure that there'll be a few questions as we go along. Um, so please feel free to pop these into the chat. Um, should be a, a button somewhere on your screen where you can put those questions in. Um, we will have time at the end to, to get through as many as possible. Um, also note that there will be a recording of the event. Um, so if any of you are, are looking for something to do this evening um, wh while you're having your supper, uh, you can switch that on and have a look at Reza and I. Um, we have a few themes that we want to touch on. Um, we'll take probably 25 minutes to go through some of these themes, um, and then I'm going to leave it up to, to the audience questions. So, Rhys, um, thanks very much for, for agreeing to join us today and sharing your expertise with us. I mean, first things first, um, 2021, what's the start been like for you? Hi, Avi, and um, good afternoon to all of our listeners and clients that are on. Uh, thank you for that very colorful introduction. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a guru, but whatever I've learned in the last couple of years, I'd certainly like to share, share it and, uh, you know, uh, move the conversation forward. 
2021, uh, how? it feels like a repeat of 2020 with the main difference um, that we have gained some lockdown and COVID related experience and we can plan better um, after having been in this lockdown for much of the past 10 months. But uh, having said that, one has to be more upbeat for 2021, having had the benefit of, of hindsight, I would think. Um, the discovery of a, a vaccine um, and the rollout of this globally has to be up there as one of the key upsides for the year if, uh, if we had to get it right uh, in, in South Africa. Um, unfortunately, COVID has hit closer to home for many of us, many of our clients, many of our colleagues. And so now more than ever, we find people uh, that have the dual benefit of having a job as well as good health uh, are some of the things that most people are, are most appreciative, appreciative of currently. Whereas if you look at how we started 2020, this were not up there some of the most important things in our in our lives. So so it does feel better than it did, uh, you know, going through a bulk of that lockdown in 2020. But like I said, we've got experience now and we can perhaps plan better. You've touched on uh, a number of, of pertinent points there, I think. Um, so, so maybe let's just kick off with the elephant in the room and, and probably a question that's unanswerable at this point. Um, COVID and the vaccine, uh, how, do you, how does that factor into your thinking for the year? So in terms of the vaccine rollout from whatever the government's been telling us, from what we read in the, in the media, um, it seems as though um, a lot will depend on uh, logistical factors. Um, so in terms of our understanding is that um, the government would, would go out and procure vaccines that been approved already um, and uh, and you know the, the government would pay uh, for this from the fiscus and then we got private sector being medical aids, private pharm pharmacies, etc, uh, procuring that from the government um, and the government rolling out um, physical you know vaccinations across clinics and and, and hospitals. Um, however, there's been a lot bandied about in terms of the cost of the vaccine and how we're going to fund it. And I don't think that money is the most important or most, um, uh, you know, debilitating factor here. I think the actual uh, process of approving vaccines and then negotiating with suppliers to actually procure supplies and then having it imported into the country and then the labor intensive task of actually rolling that out to about 40 million people in the country. I think that's going to be more taxing than actually finding or looking for the money because currently if you look at the, the, the estimates, whatever you uh, whatever estimate you choose to use, the, the vaccine uh, is going to cost us about between 20 and 30, 30 billion rands. Uh, but if you look at the fiscus or the size of the fiscus, that's merely a rounding error when you when you talk about 20 to 30 billion. I think the, the physical and the logistical aspect is going to be much more, much more difficult uh, for a small economy like South Africa. We'll, we'll definitely touch on on that funding issue. I, I think there's probably bigger issues than than the 20 to 30 billion in in terms of the budget that's coming up. But let's just set the sceneries. Uh, let's go back maybe you know, six months where you guys were from a GDP forecast perspective. What was the thinking? What's changed? And and what where are we now in terms of our expectations for firstly 2020 growth, and then and then what's going to happen in 2021? 
Okay, so we we have been relatively more dovish relative to consensus on on growth for for quite a while now since the start of 2020. Um, and uh, six months ago, we were expecting a contraction in 2020 uh, of around 9% uh, in terms of real GDP. Uh, we moved that closer to 8.5% currently, and that's still uh, relatively bearish or dovish compared to consensus um, and some of the other estimates that are out there. Uh, for 2021, we're seeing a growth forecast of 2.5% and then 2022 around 2.1% growth. Now, the reasons why we've been on the lower end of the spectrum for growth has to do with, with two things. It's basically consumer spending um, or the lack of consumer spending and the lack of gross fixed capital formation. So private sector investment essentially. So we, we're still seeing um, consumer spending or household consumption spending declining in 2021. Um, less so than it did in 2020. Uh, but if you look at gross fixed capital formation, I think that's where the biggest concern is uh, being that um, uh, double digit or 11% contraction that we're forecasting in terms of uh, private sector investment for this year. Now, if you look at the pandemic and how that's evolved, um, it's resulted in consumers really, really um, increasing their savings. So household savings rates have, have gone up to multi-year highs um, from when I looked at the data back to, to 2005. In fact, we currently have one of the highest saving rates um, relative to our history. So surely once the pandemic ends or once life returns back to some form of normality, we're expecting consumers to start to spend some of this pent up savings. But what's a bit unclear currently is that if you look at previous crises and previous pandemics and financial crises, uh, it, had, it had materially changed consumer behavior permanently uh, and spending patterns permanently. And so the current pandemic, it's a bit difficult to sort of forecast how this pandemic is going to impact uh, con permanent uh, consumer spending patterns and behavior. And for for one, one aspect that we see that's a, a little bit more negative than what sort of the market is impacting is spending on services that's permanently lost spending. Um, for example, if you emerge from this lockdown, consumers are not going to start taking two holidays, buying two car washes or you know, two haircuts, you know. So so it's it's permanently lost spending and services that we now have to try and, you know, uh, uh, pull back into the economy in terms of spending elsewhere. And so we think that the pandemic will leave a big hole, particularly for 2020 and 2021 uh, spending in the economy as well as investment in the economy. Let's assume you guys are right on, on the 2020 number and we go back eight and a half. And then I think you said two and a half uh, growth for, for this year. Um, maybe if we have to flex that, so upper end and, and lower end, um, what do you think the, the higher end could be? And what do you think the lower end of growth could be in 2021? So there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, we could have multiple waves of, of, of this pandemic. We don't even know whether the vaccine is going to be effective. Um, and we don't know whether we're going to, you know, have further lockdowns. So given all of the, those uncertainties, um, 
Uh, in my opinion, I think the high would be what consensus and the SOBs forecasting currently at 3.6%. So we really do think that the bias or the risk to growth is firmly to the downside relative to that forecast. But if you have to ask me for an upper end for this year, would be around 3.6%, which is what the Saab and consensus is forecasting in terms of real GDP growth. And the bottom end, I mean, unfortunately, we cannot rule out another negative year of growth. Um, so, so I'd like not to place a number on that, but we, we need to actually be aware and open to some of the downside, a lot of the downside risks uh, that the current pandemic um, will sort of bring about, you know, if a, a vaccine rollout is not managed um, or if we don't get confidence back up and spending back up and private sector spending, um, you know, up in the second half of this year, we cannot rule out an, another negative year of growth. So, so I think that's where sort of my um, scope is um, in terms of expectations for the year. Yeah, I always love the, 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 the honest straight answers, Reese. Um, so, I mean, last week we were probably all a little bit surprised um, by the relatively dovish tone, uh, sorry, hawkish tone from, from the Saab. Um, what are they seeing in terms of growth that, that makes them a little bit more optimistic um, than they previously were? So in terms of what the survey indicated last week, they slight uh, upward adjustment to the growth forecast for, for, for 2021 is as a result of base effects. So the third quarter of last year, we had a 66% quarter on quarter increase in real GDP growth, and uh, that was well above what they were initially forecasting. And because of that surprise, upside surprise, they had to readjust the, the, the contraction for 2020 and then the growth forecast for 2021. So it's it's nothing sort of fundamental, no no, no real fundamental changes to some of the subcomponents, uh, but merely just sort of a, a base effect adjustment better. Uh, but I think some of the aspects that um, that, according to us, represent risk to the downside would be, you know, load shedding that started in January. And that's going to have, a, you know, a negative impact on, on output, surely, you know, especially in the, in the secondary sector. Um, and if you look at uh, already high frequency economic data prints for the fourth quarter of last year, like retail sales, uh, man mining, manufacturing production, credit growth, all of those have disappointed. Um, so, so we sort of starting the year 2021, on a on a you know very muted footing, and I think for the Saab they haven't been really fundamental positive changes to their forecast. It's merely just been base effect adjustment and the fact that they're slightly more optimistic um, on 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 you know some of the balance of risks um, that uh, you know consent uh, that we're seeing or other analysts are seeing in the market. Thanks very much, Reese. Um, maybe, I mean, we've got a few topics to get through, so maybe just to leave it on growth, uh, which sectors do you think will, will perform better and which sectors will perform worse, uh, assuming your base case plays out? So it's still, it's still assuming a very, very um, muted recovery and a, and a sort of weak economy um, and thinking about which sectors sort of outperforms in this type of um, macroeconomic um environment. 
I would think defensive sectors, your your food retailers, um, pharmaceuticals, you know, given the COVID pandemic, healthcare, some of the obvious choices um, in this type of weak economic environment. But then, I mean, going forward or looking forward, tech-based sectors or industries um, have definitely, you know, benefited from uh, from the the pandemic and likely to build on that um, uh, in the next couple of years. And I think, you know, what's also very difficult to get data on is very, very micro enterprises. We've seen a lot of home-based industries take off, you know, on a micro scale. So, um, so those are some of the uh, uh, places where I think uh, growth or or this pandemic will benefit um, those industries. Um, on a long-term basis and given the changes in, in behavior and changes in working styles uh, that's afforded to us uh, in the current pandemic, one would have to think that IT-based sectors and tech-based um, um, businesses will take off you know, on, a, on a more medium to longer-term basis. So that's how I see it. Uh, your necessities being you know, the, the most preferred um, during a week um, um, in, or in a weak economy. And then after that, if you look at some of the so gro growth stories after the pandemic would be tech, home, micro home-based industries and, 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 and IT-based industries and delivery services. I mean, I'm sure you must have bought a lot of stuff online now in the pandemic compared to ever at any point in your life. So yeah, those are some of the obvious choices for me. I think we can all attest to to buying a few more things online than we did uh, previously. Um, is moving on to to everyone's favorite topic now, um, the the rand. Um, you guys have been very very good on calling the rand. Um, pretty bullish despite a very weak. Uh, economic outlook through the most part of last year, uh, and that worked out pretty well. Uh, I know you guys have recently upgraded or downgraded the, the, the RAND and taken a slightly less bullish stance. Um, maybe just to kick off, how do you think about the RAND? So in terms of the RAND, um, I, the economist in me would like to think that it's uh, you know more uh, demand and supply um, dynamics that affects the RAND or more sort of you know fundamental purchasing power parity um, uh, fundamentals that influence the RAND, but on a short-term view, it's global financial market conditions um, and sentiment that that drives the RAND, um, and that's what we saw last year. We saw that sharp sell-off in 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 March and April um, uh, in uh, in terms of the dollar RAND weakening to over 19 RAND, but. <laughs> After that, you see that uh, sharp pullback in the RAND because we've seen this. It's played out before in other crises. And as a result of that, from that extreme peak, we see the RAND recovering as it had done, you know, um, in prior uh, in prior pandemics and crisis. Um, going forward, um, how we view the RAND, and yes, we did, uh, you know, downgrade our forecast on the RAND, expecting a gradual weakness, um, particularly in the second half of this year. Um, the main reasons for that uh, has to do with, um, um, firstly, um, our real uh, forward-looking real interest rate or, or real yield. Um, if you look at that, uh, our real policy rate on a forward-looking basis is negative, um, and uh, we think that that will likely drive the rand, uh, you know, slightly weaker towards the year uh, towards year end. But if you look at inflation, that's also ticking up, and that's likely to eat into um, um, real yields. 
Um, but if you look at, um, you know, going forward and our competitiveness relative to, you know, our peers, um, our, our fiscal trajectory um, is far more worse now compared to when we started or entered the pandemic. Um, and from a relative competitiveness basis, uh, our debt trajectory is amongst uh, the most unsustainable and worse um, amongst our key peers. Our twin deficit uh, or twin balance remains uh, widely, you know, uh, quite wide, well above 15% of GDP. And, you know, some of the fundamental drivers in the economy dictate, uh, you know, a weaker RAND trajectory uh, going forward. So I think that uh, that some of the reasons that substantiated us moving uh, to a, 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 you know, a, a less a less upbeat view on the RAND, but also the fact that the RAND um, returned back to um, our one and a half standard deviation level uh, from our extreme peaks model. So it returned to that 15 Rand against the dollar mark. And so from that aspect, we had to sort of revise going forward in terms of what we're expecting. So for this year, we're expecting a Rand to end the year closer to the 1650 mark uh, compared to last year, where we had expected it to, to, to end the year closer to the 15 Rand against the dollar mark. But if you look at our range that we have, that we will likely remain neutral, we have a range forecast between 15 and 16 for this year. So um, with the RAND weaker or above 16, that pre that presents sort of a buying opportunity for the RAND uh, based on our fundamentals and vice versa for a RAND below 15. Thanks very much, Iris. Um, and, and maybe, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but you know, we've got the, the, the budget coming up in a, in a few weeks, and that's obviously going to be quite important uh, for some of the factors that you spoke about. Uh, maybe just highlight your, your expectations going in and some of the key things we should be looking out for. So there's a lot of um, uh, recent attention has been given on, on raising taxes. So sort of wealth tax to, to get more revenues coming in. Uh, we firmly have the view that South Africa cannot afford um, any further tax increases. We have one of the highest tax burdens um, in the world. Uh, in terms of the Laffer curve, the, the curve that dictates, um, you know, tax, tax rates versus how much we can actually um, collect. We are firmly past the peak of the Laffer curve, implying that um, higher tax rates will in effect result in um, lower tax revenue collected. Um, if you look at uh, employment conditions locally, uh, we've lost uh, a lot of jobs with unemployment close to 31%. Um, and given the number of, you know, fatalities, uh, very, very skilled people, you know, dying um, and the loss of income from that, we don't think that the consumer and the economy can afford higher taxes currently. But over and above that, um, if you look at um, uh, the government's cash position, uh, cash, uh, the government's cash uh, balances are quite high currently. So like I said, initially, um, the debate of firstly, who's going to pay for vaccines and whether we can afford, you know, 20 or 30 billion rand back vaccine rollout, uh, that seems to be like a, a rounding error compared to some of the um, bailouts that we've provided to SOEs uh, or in terms of the revenue forecast, we've disappointed. If you look at um, this year's revenue collection compared to last year, will likely be about 243 billion rands lower. So, so we're talking about 
much bigger numbers um, on a nominal RAND basis uh, in terms of revenue disappointments compared to pre-pandemic relative to some of the, 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 expen the expenses that we that we talking about currently and the fact that media is going on about uh, raising taxes or the potential of raising taxes to pay for a 20 billion rand vaccine rollout is something that I'm just failing to understand given the other numbers that that we're talking about. So in terms of the budget uh, what we what we hoping to see is a massive reduction in terms of expenditures. Um, so cutting wasteful expending, the government has recently uh, implemented this zero cost budgeting uh, where uh, municipalities and provinces would only sort of uh, receive uh, funds once they um, once they uh, make a case for it. Um, and so I think that's a much more prudent way to sort of uh, trim the fat and reduce expenditures. Um, but it has been a battle that the government has um, has has tried to 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 win for a long time now. And if you look at the the wage bill, and that's a more much more recent issue, whereas whereby last year National Treasury tried to cut the wage bill by about 160 billion over three year framework. Uh, three year medium term expenditure framework and that battle is still continuing in the courts. So um, so so from, from if if the budget were to sort of inspire confidence, I think we need to focus on an infrastructure rollout program um, that's there, but we haven't really seen any progress on that. We need to uh, focus on actually not, you know, constantly bailing out SOEs. There must be, uh, you know, be, uh, better decision making from a leadership perspective when it comes to managing um, uh, SOEs. Um, and I think um, any sort of mention of, of well taxes or higher personal income taxes uh, that will, won't go down well, you know, for the consumer and even for the fiscus itself. I, I eventually when we when we end the year off and we see that we haven't reaped uh, those sort of rewards. There also been talk of uh, social grants or um, a so, uh, an additional social grant being given, and uh, that's positive on a short term basis because it increases VAT. So that essentially gets spent in the economy. It increases VAT, but South Africa has much more bigger structural, permanent structural problems to address, um, and we can't sort of tax ourselves grant ourselves out of the problem. We need to grow ourselves out of the problem. Um, and so we need to figure out how we're going to increase GDP growth. Um, one way of doing it, that is by spurring confidence and creating an, uh, an environment that businesses will be willing to invest and spend in the economy, employ and then, you know, grow. But uh, ultimately it comes down to strong leadership and, and you know, decisions taken by the leadership um, on the political, on the public side, as well as on the, on the private side, side uh, that will sort of, you know, get us better growth. We're sort of stuck in a, in a, in a grow, low growth trap currently because no one wants to take tough decisions. Um, that's how I feel. And talk, talking about tough decisions, Aries, you mentioned the public sector wage bill. Um, what is the potential for, for, for significant cuts to come through and, and how does it happen? Is it uh, just uh, zero inflation for the next few years um, and, and how much will that save us? So when we looked at it, uh, just merely reducing um, um, the, the 
the increase or the inflation rate in the wage bill doesn't really give you much. We, when it a one percent saving in terms of the wage bill yields about 55 billion rands. Uh, now, when we have a deficit um, that's in excess of 700 billion, here again, you know, a 55 billion rand saving over a three-year period that is, um, you know, doesn't give us uh, much. So, uh, in the absence of headcount cuts and 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 you know actually trimming down uh, the number of um, unproductive um, employees in the public sector in the absence of that there's very little that can be done from a wage bill in 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 my opinion if if you look at the wage bill and how that's constructed there are various cost of living adjustments that are already provided by the government um, and uh, and you know the, the the on top of that the the wage increase on top of that um, you know just adds uh, to the cost. So the you get housing subsidies, you get medical aid subsidies. There's various other um, like I said cost of living adjustments that add to the cost of the wage bill, and it's not just you know the year on year increase. Um, so there's the yeah. So it's it's a bit of a difficult situation because on the one hand the government wants to uh, safeguard employment, create more employment, in fact, um, and grow the you know, grow the economy in that way. But on the other hand, we just cannot afford uh, a wage bill that that um, consumes one third of you know you know you know total expenditures or makes up one third total expenditures. So um, for now, I think that uh, we are unlikely to achieve the 160 billion rand savings that the government set out for. Uh, but I think any incremental gains in the wage bill it's, itself will be positive. Um, like I said earlier on, cutting the fat in other areas of wasteful spending and clamping down on corruption and bad procurement practices, those also need to be implemented um, with, you know, uh, changes to the wage bill. Is we've probably got we've probably got one more topic to 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 cover and we we're fast running out of time so we'll get to questions in a few just a reminder to the audience to please put through any questions that you might have um that, that you want to ask please if we can't get through it now we'll we'll definitely uh, reply to it a bit later um so so Reese, i mean the final topic is is just around inflation and, and rates um as yes. we mentioned, the hawkish hold uh, last week. Um, what are your expectations on both fronts for the rest of the year? So we're expecting inflation to rise gradually this year um, and next. Is the main reason for the higher inflation forecast of 3.9% this year and about 4.4% for next year is as a result of higher electricity prices or electricity inflation transport inflation and food price inflation that have already uh, uh, risen. Um, and so those are some of the key reasons uh, that's uh, causing us to see slightly higher inflation. Um, in terms of rates now, naturally, should inflation increase and your your real policy rate, um, you know, dips into negative territory, naturally one would expect um, higher interest rates or more hawkish sob like we saw last week. But on the one hand, we have a very, very weak growth and the possibility of growth disappointing to the downside. Um, and we risk uh, the key risk that we have here in, in, in South Africa, in the South African context is hiking prematurely and undoing some of the, the, the relief 
uh, that we've provided, uh, the, the Saab has provided to consumers in the past 10 months of the pandemic. Um, so, so we do believe that there's still downside risk to growth, certainly um, relative to the Saab forecast. And on the back of that, um, we think that the hiking cycle that the QPM currently projects to begin in the next quarter, we think that that gets postponed out into 2022. Um, and uh, and I think the Saab is also very aware that uh, premature hiking can stifle a lot of gains made um, in the past 10 months. Um, so it's it's a very sort of difficult call, um, and um, I think that uh, we'll have to sort of wait and watch how inflation unfolds um, in the next few months. If inflation does, you know, uh, increase much more rapidly than we and the Saab forecast and consensus forecast, then yes, the hawkish stance is is given the Saab's core mandate of price stability and that 4.5% inflation target. But if inflation is much more muted than we're expecting and the Saab's expecting, uh, that provides them with some room to sort of hold off uh, on hikes. So that's how, how we're looking at it uh, for now. Um, given that we're in a, still in a pandemic, a lot can change. Um, these forecasts are very fluid. Uh, and unfortunately, I wish I had a crystal ball to be more sort of accurate in terms of our forecast, but all we can do now is just look at the high frequency economic data prints and if it changes materi materially relative to what we're forecasting or some of the subcomponents in our growth and inflation forecast, then we'll have to be much more reactive uh, with that. Maybe just a final point on, on, on rates, Rees. Um, the, the the cuts that have come through, I mean, they've been significant over the past year, I think 300 basis points in, in 2020. Um, is there an element of, of consumer confidence being so low that, you know, those cuts didn't come through just yet and there might be a bit of catch up coming through? Um, or, or do you think that, you know, uh, rates low do, doesn't really impact consumer spending for this year? Yeah, so if you look at this, um, you know, this, the Saab's research and, you know, global research that's out there, it takes about 12 to 18 months. Um, any sort of monetary policy action takes about 12 to 18 months to filter into the real economy. Um, and so um, you, we're likely to see that consumer spending on the back of those relief measures start to come through. Uh, now, if it hadn't come through already, so we already saw a bit of a spike in terms of pent up demand in the third quarter of last year, potentially in the fourth quarter as well. So those benefits are likely to continue, um, you know, occurring in the economy into 2021 as well. But also what we must not um, sort of uh, forget is that these cuts that have come through have come through in the midst of a pandemic. So, so previously in sort of business as usual economy, um, consumers might go out and, and blow those savings, you know, but in an, in, during a pandemic where every other person that you're looking at is losing their job or having their incomes halved or actually having, you know, having lost loved ones or have not having, uh, uh, you know, the finances to, to, to uh, you know, pay for medical um, costs. Uh, in, in a pandemic like this, it materially changes not just confidence, but consumer behavior. And that's something that I think is still uncertain and there's still a sort of lack of data as to how that, um, uh, how that will sort of play out. But I do think, and from what we've seen, consumers have become uh, a bit more cautious. In fact, a quite 
cautious uh, during the current pandemic. And I think that where they where we have seen a bit of an uptick in consumer demand, that uh, it's not sort of the, the benefit has to the to 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 spending or to the consumer has not been incurred 100 percent. So part of those savings have gone to spending, but a big part of it has gone to buffer up savings as well. That's what the data showed us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Riz. I'm going to go straight into questions. We've got a few from the audience, so I'll just read the first one out. And, and this one sort of talks about vaccine and then talks about um, issuance as well, which I think is a pertinent topic. So would it not be cleaner and easier for government to fund the cost of the vaccine from capital markets? According to the MTBPS, the intention is to reduce funding through reduced weekly issuance. Would it not make sense to delay the reduction and fund the vaccine through maintaining weekly issuance at current levels um, until you've raised enough capital to fund the vaccine? So I've been looking at the numbers quite closely. Um, if you look at the 2020-2021, the current fiscal year, uh, according to our calculations, uh, National Treasury would have um, uh, over-issued or pre-funded by about 97 billion rands. This means that they would have raised 97 billion rands more in issuance than it actually needs to uh, pay for the budget deficit, to fund the budget deficit. Um, it, it implies essentially extra money that it has relative to the current um, forecast or the MTBPS forecasts. Um, and so if you think uh, of what the cost of a vaccine rollout would be um, 20 to 30 billion, that can be easily funded by uh, the current um, you know, extra issuance that it has or is forecasted to have for the current year. But over and above that, if you look at um, the issuance profile um, and um, you know the cash balances, excess cash balances that the that the, the government has, I think if I have to look at the number that I have here, as of December, our total cash balance that we have or National Treasury has is about 378 billion rands, and that's massive. It's the highest I think ever ever recorded. Um, National Treasury had about 234 billion rands of cash banked with um, South African banks, um, and so it, it, it's it's massive cash balances um, that can. I think can easily pay for 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 the vaccine. So I, so like I said upfront, I don't think the issue is with lack of funds or lack of money or where we get the money from or how we budget for this. I think the bigger problem or the bigger question here is um, the logistical issue. When when the, uh, you know do do we have we even secured supplies um, and when are you know when can we get it? How fast can we get it? Um, you know into our country. Thanks, Rhys. Uh, slightly different tack, um, but uh, very important question. What are the expectation of the sovereign's credit rating um, for, for this year? Constant, downgraded, or does outlook uh, get revised? Yeah, so I think that um, if you look at uh, the budget, that's, that will be the key determining event for um, S&P and Moody's. Um, and uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, uh, ignore the possibility of a one-notch down, downgrade uh, by both of them. Um, however, given having said that, we're already, you know, below investment grade um, on on you know 
S&P, Moody's and Fitch. And so um, the bigger question here is how fast does our CDS and credit risk react and um, how, how much more steeper does our curve uh, you know, go on the back of uh, a deteriorating fiscus and a, pit, uh, and a potential downgrade. So I think that um, given the fluidity and uncertainty as to the fiscus um, and the budget, uh, we need to look at the budget first and whether they do achieve the expenditure reductions that they've promised or, or at least even forecast over a three-year period. Um, and if that is the case, how quickly can we reduce our debt burden? If you look at our forecast, we're seeing the debt to GDP ratio um, hit 100% by 2024, 2025. If you listen to what uh, the Director General indicated um, a few weeks ago, that could that ratio could be hit much sooner than that. Um, so it all depends on as to how they manage national treasury manages the debt, uh, the debt, debt trajectory, whether it does come down. Um, and I think that's that that will influence our uh, credit rating. Thank you, Riz. Um, I'm taking a lot of questions that are on a similar tack here. Um, and just to paraphrase, I think um, generally government has good policies out there. Um, the execution has, has definitely been an issue. Um, so do you think that is there anything that has changed that would encourage you uh, to think that execution will be a little bit better over the next few years? Um, you know what they say about everything uh, uh, sort of when you so when when an economy is as weak as it is currently, they can only be upside. You know, and they, they say also the same, the opposite, whatever goes up must come down. But so, so in terms of how I'm seeing it, the economy has weakened significantly. We've lost a, a, a significant amount of jobs, not just in the past year, but in the past five years because of a lack of implementation in some of the the, the, the programs that uh, that, you know, were promised, particularly the infrastructure investment um, and uh, I certainly think that going forward over the next five years, private sector needs to sort of take take over the baton from government and maybe perhaps even hold the government's hand in terms of directing um, and managing some of uh, some of the uh, infrastructure led growth uh, that had been promised back way back in 2018 or 20, 2012, if you have to go back and look at the government's history. So I do think that we in a, we, the, the economy is so weak currently that they can only be sort of upside from here. Uh, I guess uh, what's quite concerning is uh, the fact that there hasn't really been much decision making or any sort of, uh, you know, urgency or action with actually procuring vaccines and we're still debating how we're going to pay for it. I think that's very concerning. We need decisions to be made. And you know what they say about uh, decision making. You take the decision now and then only later you realize whether it has been a good decision or bad decision, but you take the decision now. And I think I think that's what's holding up not just a vaccine program, but a lot of the structural reform um, that has be, that is there in black and white. For example, the spectrum auction, um, you know, that's been going on for the past two to three years. And why has that not been implemented? So um, I really do think that a lot of the upside will likely come through from the private sector or needs to come through from the private sector because um, there's been a lot of red, red tape 
bureaucracy and lack of decision making in the public sector to sort of drive this growth agenda in the past. Lisa, I think that's us out of time as always. Uh, fantastic catching up with you and uh, hearing your thoughts and giving us as much uh, information as, as we possibly can in this in this very difficult environment. Um, I think just to recap, uh, we, we, we are a little bit more bearish on, on the RAND than we were. Um, inflation going to pick up a little bit more bearish on, on growth. Um, yeah, so, so let's see how we, we end the year. Thanks very much, everyone, for joining us. Um, we've got a number of questions here that we'll endeavor to, to, to get back to, to you guys on. Um, enjoy the rest of the day, and thanks for, for joining us again. Cheers. Thanks, Avi. Bye.